0: Binging on movies, binging with Jason, you're binging on movies with
1: Jason, here Here comes The Binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, a weekly podcast in which two Ohio refugees living in San Francisco review new movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I'm Jason Leroy.
0: My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at The Fifth Wave, The Lady in the Van, and Mojave. And as always, we'll rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, binge it being our highest rating, Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And then send it back means...
1: Life is just too fucking short for this mess. Truth.
0: Life is also too short for Oscar talk mess, which <laughs> there's been a lot of this week.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a conversation that has not died down. It's not just a single day story. Uh, there seems to be new developments every day in the Oscars still so white. Uh, uh, crucible, I'll call it. I think it's a crucible. I think I'm going to stick with that word. Uh, there have been a series of high-profile um, announcements mm-hmm. uh, from people of color in the industry that they will not be attending, uh, from Spike Lee to Jada Pinkett Smith, and now also Will Smith. Will Smith has, uh, in. has chimed in and said that he also will will not be attending. Uh, so this is this has really put the pressure on um, the head of the heads of the Academy to say something meaningful. Um, and, uh, there have been a series like Cheryl Boone Isaacs, the Academy president who we mentioned last week, who is an African American woman, uh, released a, a, a letter uh, of apology, basically just an open letter to the world apologizing for the failures of the Academy to reflect the diversity initiatives that they had uh, implemented.
0: I'm so glad that a black woman is apologizing (laughs) for the racism of the Academy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, and uh, and and it's true. it's really it's not on her, but she's the figurehead, yeah. and so it's it, it falls to her to you know to address this issue and and her apology does not seem to have abated anything because that was before I think uh, Will Smith had also decided that he was not going to attend and uh, so the, there's a lot of uh, apparently there's been a lot of really uncomfortable conversations happening throughout Hollywood. Uh, Over the last week, Uh, they're, you know, running the gamut from embarrassment to kind of resentment that Academy members feel that they're being accused of being racist.
0: Penelope Ann Miller.
1: Penelope Ann Miller. Yes. Which, who? (laughs) I know who Penelope Ann Miller is. Tell everybody. Uh, She is a nondescript actress (laughs) Uh, who who I think her her biggest performance may have been uh, in The Shadow opposite Alec Baldwin circa 1994.
0: I thought you were going to say like The Shadow, like the radio play from the 40s. (laughs) Like The Shadow knows.
1: Yeah, no, that was Mima, I think. I think it was. I think it was Mima. Um, So yeah, so there's Academy members who are upset that they're being called racist. And, you know, and there are think pieces that are coming out left and right about this. Uh, One, I was reading from Scott Feinberg, who is the sort of awards prognosticator for Hollywood Reporter, tried putting into the perspective that this, while problematic in a lot of ways, is not necessarily evidence of racism in the voting members of the Academy so much as it is of a larger systemic issue, which I kind of talked about last week on the podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, it's none of the people who were snubbed were considered shoe-in contenders right uh there's always people who don't make it into the final slots and it's really just bad fucking luck that it happened to be all white people in all four acting categories this year uh so it's not a targeted racial snubbing that's going on i think that anyone who suggests that is 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 just trying to provoke a reaction um i think it was it was bad luck and the bigger issue is the systemic problem with just the lack of quality films and roles that are being offered to african-american actors and uh even you know one of the films we'll be talking about this week uh which i admire quite a bit uh is is just white 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 in roles that don't have to be white Mm -hmm. so i think it really falls
0: isn't that every movie that we're reviewing this week (laughs) wait is there any actor of color in any of the movies that we're reviewing this week
1: um. Yeah. I mean, Oscar Isaac is, I believe, Guatemalan. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> Rebecca is not sure she wants to acknowledge Guatemalan as a, <laughs> as being a person of color. I'll
0: get back to you on that.
1: <laughs> and actually, oh, I looked up our to, to,
0: Guatemalan <laughs> friends Our
1: Guatemalan friends. And uh, Tony Revolori, who is in uh, The Fifth Wave, also, I believe, is Guatemalan because I looked him up recently and I was like, what is he anyway?
0: Yeah. And, well, that's sort of a thing. He He's one of those, it's almost like that. Um...
1: One of those. <laughs> Rebecca Olarte <laughs> on Tony Revolori. He's one of those. This is
0: why I should complete a thought before I move on to another one. <laughs> he's one of those actors who gets typecast as a lot of like random yeah. nationalities and ethnicities. Yes. Um,
1: he can play a number of brown types mm-hmm.
0: which we, we've seen that recently there was a video that came out about an actor who has played like every he's he's played a middle eastern actor he's mm-hmm. played like a hispanic drug lord he's played all these characters and where you know these not to say that he's not a good actor but he could also go to a lot of different actors of, of
1: right different races right right. right indeed indeed so this is i think that you know this this conversation will continue it seems uh and we'll see if there are actual protests at the oscars quincy jones has also spoken up and uh, said that he was asked to um, to contribute to the awards musically this year. And that he has said that he will only do it if he is allowed five minutes uh, of stage time uh, for which to address this issue. Oh, that's yes. a nice
0: approach. What yeah. about Chris Rock? Is he still going to host?
1: You know, I, as far as I know, he has not stepped down. There have been certainly no shortage of cries for him to step down. From 50 Cent? From, yes. From a number of uh, of, of guys in the hip-hop community have stepped forward and said like the only thing Chris Rock can do at this point is step down it would be uh, a huge betrayal for him to host this award show with this conversation being this kind of fever pitch right now.
0: What do you think about that? I I'm not sure I agree with that.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that either. I think that, you know, for for him to be there, he's obviously going to just kick everyone's ass from the stage Hopefully. for it, you know, and there needs to be at least one person of color on the stage for the Oscars this year cuz it won't be any of the winners. Right. And, and not
0: that I'm one who should say
1: you know what the right decision is to be right
0: but there, there is a power there in being able to have that that time on stage yeah
1: yeah so but i think at the same time it would be it's kind of like the damage is done uh for this year's nominations right. like chris rock not hosting the show is not going to make the academy stop what they were doing and go back and reevaluate their nominees, and like throw Idris Elba into Best Supporting Actor after all. <laughs> uh, like it's nothing can be done at this point. Um, you know the outrage is there, and this is just the latest in a series of calls over the last year to make Hollywood turn its shit around in terms of hiring more women uh, behind the camera, in terms of you know having greater parts of worthiness for actors of color. Uh, this is just, this is a continuing story. And, uh, and, and but like we talked about, it's ultimately a, a business for Hollywood studios. Uh, so that that's why it's, it's hard to change it because on the one hand, you have the artists who are in the academy and the other, you have the executives who run the studios. And artists are always going to want to like do the right liberal thing more often than not. Right. Executives, on the other hand, are not as interested in that. And, you know, they don't want to look bad But at the same time, ultimately, it's a business for them.
0: Well, the thing is, it seems like a lot of movies that that have a a large cast of people of color do very well. Like Ride Along 2 Uh was the first movie to beat out Star Wars this year, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, Compton did very well.
1: Yes. Ride Along 2, of course, will not be an Oscar contender next year. And so, I think that there is a sense of they know, executives know what movies. Black audiences historically have supported financially, so it's more of a of a of a cynical kind of thing of like, okay, if we just keep putting out shitty Kevin Hart movies mm-hmm. where we like pair him with Ice Cube or something, then people will come. And same way with like Tyler Perry movies, uh, right. you know, which he has managed to remain. You know, Tyler Perry, to his credit, has been like, no, I'm not going to let the Hollywood studios co op. Like, yeah, I do speak to a really gigantic black audience. Mm-hmm. And I do, I am getting filthy fucking rich off of my ability to speak to them in a way that no Hollywood movies do. Right, And uh, so, you know, so he's gone his own way and he's remained resolutely independent in his dealings. But he also, you know, he gets it. He knows like what will get an audience. So I think that the question becomes then it's about award season. It's about getting movies into award season, into the festivals that will have these kinds of roles um, that will get people of color... Uh, critical attention and we'll get awards campaigns rolled out for them Hmm. and uh, and I think that like this coming year this well this year really 2016 is a prime opportunity for uh, for actors of color to be playing these parts I'm sure that you know a lot of things coming out this year have already wrapped production Um, but I'm sure right now the studios are already looking ahead to the 2016 Oscars or the 2017 Oscars rather and being like okay like here's here's our shoe-in like, because they're going to want to make it up after this. Yeah. After this this ongoing, just public stoning that they've been going through over this, they're going to want to make it up next year. So, like, any actor of color who has a decent part in a prestige movie this year is going to have a really good fucking chance at getting a nomination, just out have a sense of wanting to make up for what happened this year. right? Um, and then, which, you know, which is, again, is not ideal, because then it's more like a, a trying to atone thing, rather than just recognizing the merit of of their work so ideally eventually we'll get to a point where there's just more equality just greater quality greater representation uh for all people across you know movies so that it doesn't have to be this thing where the academy has to be shamed into nominating an actor of color and we act like the academy has not actually given out like a number of oscars to black actors uh ranging from denzel washington to mm-hmm. halle berry to Whoopi goldberg and, you know, so it's not like the Academy has never done this before. It's just that currently, you know, it's just on a bad fucking streak of not acknowledging any actors of color. So it's not like this is like a historic like, oh, we're finally going to get our first ever. And Lupini Ango just won an Oscar. Yeah, but um, I mean,
0: those the people that you've named were all not all, but some of some of the first people do have won. Oscars and they've all been in our lifetimes so it isn't Mm -hmm. like it it's more historically a problem than it is it's only recently sort of been solved by a couple of awards Mm -hmm. here and there
1: right well I mean there was Butterfly McQueen was nominated for an Oscar for Gone with the Wind uh so she was the the first ever uh uh, African-American actor nominated for uh for an Oscar but and I think that you know the Academy can't be blamed for the racism that gripped the entire fucking country for all those decades absolutely not uh, that it was, it was representative of of racial problems at large, and I think the same could be said now that the academy is is that things have things have, have you know taken a fucking turn for the worse in terms of race relations and uh and and I think that this once again kind of reflects that. Mm-hmm. Uh. So. Uh. But yeah. So I think that yeah this is this is the year um to, for these performances to really be singled out and campaigned for really hard um, because next year the Academy is going to be wanting to be doing some atoning no absolutely
0: doubt. should we move on to this week's movies let's do it so we're going to start off with a high note with our um, our pick of the week the fifth wave
1: pick of the week pick of the week pick 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 it's the pick, pick of the, of the week.
0: week four waves of increasingly deadly attacks have left most of Earth in ruin against a backdrop of fear and distrust Cassie is on the run desperately trying to save her younger brother
1: I didn't know it then but that was the last normal day of my life. We have reason to believe there's an imminent threat to this location. All
0: right, stay with your sister. The waves have begun. It
1: started. Coordinated attacks on metropolitan areas.
0: So the first wave feminism, we had Susan B. Anthony, and then we had Gloria Steinem with second, mm. and, and, and third and fourth, and now we're at the fifth, and it's...
1: It's cl- Chloe Grace Moretz. That's yes. not bad. No, no, could be worse. This- could be Could be one of the Jenner girls, you know.
0: Could have been a Jenner.
1: Could have been a Jenner. Um, Uh, Instead, it's Chloe Grace Moretz, who is uh, one of our, our, our finest young actresses who's been doing interesting work from a very young age uh and who i'm always excited to see i actually was following her on like twitter for a while i think a few years ago but like it got so uncomfortably like stalking a teen girlish <laughs> that i had to stop and just pull back and be like what am i doing
0: because she would have been what like 17 choices? at that point right no
1: she was like 14 at this oh. point yeah yeah because she is 18 now so yeah, <laughs> so she's, <laughs> but no, she's a very interesting, very cool young actress. And, uh, and, uh, in right off the bat in this movie, there was a, a detail and I, and I would like to acknowledge some of you might be surprised to hear that we said the fifth wave is the pick of the week. Yes. And, um, yeah. also and, you might be
0: surprised we said the fifth wave. What is that?
1: <laughs> yes, there could have also been that. So I, I want to acknowledge that uh, that it's a surprise, that this is our pick of the week. But allow us to explain what we liked about it and why we were so pleasantly surprised. And those pleasant surprises really started right off the bat. Right at the beginning. Uh, so we have Chloe Grace Martz's character, Cassie. And as the film opens, uh, it's sort of like a, you know post-apocalyptic landscape and we have her just running out of the woods into this abandoned um, convenience store and grabbing a few like leftover sundry items one of which was a few tampons a few tampons and just that one detail we were both like huh that was well, look at that! You don't see that often. No, no. Good start movie. Yeah, it was off to a very good start because that's just the kind of detail that makes you think, like, oh, okay, like this is not going to be. The-. It just it just spoke well of its of its authenticity and of its mm-hmm. sort of commitment to maybe telling a more fully realized story. Right. Uh, any any movie that is any like studio movie that's cool, reminding its audience of menstruation is automatically fine by me and uh <laughs> take, and, note, take yes, note movies because out of all out of all the countless hours we all spent watching the higher games movies i can't think of a single time that katniss's cycle was addressed <laughs> uh so not once. no not once not once uh so right off the bat me and rebecca were won over by that one detail and then from that point forward that didn't really let me down super a lot
0: no the second detail i think that that both struck a chord is that the movie set in ohio
1: it is set in Ohio. And they
0: painstakingly detailed account of a certain area of Northeast Ohio, which I was very pleased by.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this this is probably, we're probably just, like, giving away what we actually liked about the movie. We're like, <laughs> tampons in Ohio. <laughs> like, what movie could ever... Could...
0: Which was our original name of this podcast.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so it really and, and and you were mentioning there were some real detailed Ohio things uh, that this movie had.
0: Yeah, I mean it takes place in at Camp Ki- part of it's at Camp Cuyahoga, which we all know is a county that Cleveland is in, um, and then has like police badges from Bedford, and um, but a lot of it takes place outside of Dayton by um, Wright Patterson Air Force Base.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I know that for, <laughs> we have to remind ourselves that it's not only our friends listening to this, and so <laughs> not all of you might be as enthralled by the Ohio specificity of it all, but it did a lot for us, because a lot of movies uh, get, you know, they take place, like Carol, for instance.
0: They do. That's a
1: movie that took place in Ohio, but had no interest in getting a kind of Ohio detail
0: no, um, not at all.
1: And it was even filmed, uh, I mean, it was filmed in Cincinnati, so it was it filmed was. in Ohio. And then a big stretch of it takes place in Ohio, but goddamn, it had no interest in actual, like, conveying details of its setting. This and, movie was um, not
0: at all ashamed of the fact that it's
1: no, from Ohio. it was, it was very was, openly Ohio and
0: They talked about Kent State?
1: They did, yes. One of the characters in the film, uh, a, a love interest uh, for Chloe Grace Moretz, who shows up around halfway into the movie but then you're not sure if he's a good love interest or a bad one because his eyes are kind of far apart. Um, he <laughs> says, um, he's like, yeah, I went to Kent State. I got a scholarship for mechanical engineering or mm-hmm. whatever the hell. And then he's like, he's like, I bet you thought I was some kind of hick, huh? And I was like, oh, well... That's also the
0: college that Jason went to (laughs) Yes
1: I'm like, well, let's not uh, Let's not act like going to Kent State means more than it does
0: (laughs) As you might know Can't read, can't can't write, write, can't say So maybe the details about it being from Ohio Are also from the book This is based on a young adult novel Mm -hmm. um, Similar to The Hunger Games and Divergent Yes Um, And I believe the book also takes place in Dayton Um, But why? I mean, this is another female-driven young adult franchise Why, Mm -hmm. Why do we have so many of these right now?
1: Well part of it is uh, I was just reading an interview with Ricky Yancey, the author mm-hmm. of uh, of these books and and he was saying that you know a big part of it is just it kind of is a cynical thing because young readers are by large numbers women and uh, so really it's it's it, it, it can be a cynical maneuvering of like okay well if we want to get young readers and young readers are almost entirely female, then we'll have a female protagonist and have it be more about female driven issues. But he also, you know, spoke about just his, his own passion and desire and interest in, in creating, you know, empowered female characters, of which this movie has two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, two of note. Um, in addition to Chloe Grace Moretz as Cassie, uh, there is the actress uh, Meika Monroe. I don't know how you say her first name. Uh, but she was the lead in It Follows, mm-hmm. which was one of the best movies of last year. And uh, she stars as a character who's very much kind of like a '90s throwback. Absolutely, like with like full on like mascara, raccoon eyes, and kind of like Died dyed black, black hair, hair, kind of pulled up in this kind of choppy, loose bun, and just is just pissed off all the time, and just generally kind of hot topicy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but she is she is a tough little number, which is a very sexist way to describe her. <laughs> yeah, way to go. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just would, went
0: hot to molly she, uh,
1: she would she would be she would kick the shit out of me for calling her a hot little number
0: they address that in the movie as well like she's sort of um she's objectified but she turns it around yeah. really fast and addresses it and, and yeah. shuts everybody down
1: yeah there's a there's a tight close-up on her ass and i was like oh man rebecca's gonna hate that uh but then uh but then she immediately notices that these guys are looking at her ass and turns around and kind of tells them all off and uh mm-hmm. So, which we were like, "Yay, feminism!" I guess. I think so. <laughs> like like a, kind of. In a way that close enough. And it was, um, and uh, and one of the guys checking out her ass is actually Colton from Transparent.
0: There are a lot of a lot of people in this movie that you kind of seen around.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really a, a standout young cast. And like I, you
0: mentioned, Tony Revolori.
1: Mm-hmm, from Grand Budapest Hotel and, and Dope. Dope. And uh, and yeah, it's a it's a cool cast. It's a very cool cast. But uh, and it, it the objectification conversation. So even though there is that one close up of her ass which does immediately look incredible in those pants. Uh we get not one but two bits of uh objectification of a male character. Mm-hmm. Uh which we do. which I was fine with. Um so the guy with the the the, the Kent State grad with the far apart eyes I mentioned <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Be
0: more specific. Oh in this movie. Okay. In this
1: movie. Yeah. Um so the first time, so, yeah, Chloe Gritt, because I'm going to say calling her Cassie because I don't want to keep saying her three names over and over again. CJM? CGM? C- no. No, not going to happen. Her
0: name is Cassie in the movie. So,
1: so Cassie is happened upon by this hunky dude who, like, takes her into his cabin. And then, uh, and then at one point, we know that things are taking a turn for the romantic because she looks out the window and sees him chopping wood. And that is... Like the weirdest, oldest, most enduring fucking trope in movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for like a woman realizing that a man is 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 hot. Like how many times? Like I wish internet, if you're hearing this, please <laughs> compile a supercut of, of movies chopping. where a woman looks out the window and sees a man standing in the yard cutting wood, and is like, "Oh, you're strong. <laughs> you're very virile. <laughs> All this wood cutting." Well. Uh yeah, so that happens. And then later she happens upon him bathing in a lake. Nude. And there's almost a bit of butt cleavage. So I was like, you get it movie. And that was the scene where I made my traditional kind of gross arousal sound. Jesus. Uh much to Rebecca's dismay. But you know what? Rebecca made that sound earlier in the you movie. No, I wouldn't
0: say it was the same sound. It
1: was a sound.
0: There was, <laughs> there was a sound. One of the adults in this movie is Lee Schreiber, who yes, I've, half
1: brother of last week's object of lust, Pablo Schreiber. Uh,
0: that's the tie that binds and draws us and keeps us apart. Is our our uh, rivalry over which Schreiber brother is more attractive?
1: It's really. It's going to split the whole podcast apart. Are we going to do a
0: poll. let's do a twitter poll i
1: know Lindsay's on my side with pablo yeah she let me know she's like oh yeah very much huh so uh but yeah so leah schreiber shows up and just he and he shows up just moments after they first show the sign of camp Cuyahoga, (laughs) which uh things are
0: taking a turn for the exciting
1: yes and uh, so rebecca was already like titillated by (laughs) the camp Cuyahoga sign and then um suddenly there's like a they do like one of those full kind of like Tilt upward shots Where like You just see like A man in military fatigue And it starts at his boots And then it just like Tilts all the way up To his face And then there's Leo Schreiber And Rebecca made a noise (laughs) Maybe you weren't even Where you did it Maybe I wasn't But you were like Now
0: now we all know Something
1: like that (laughs) Something like that And I was like It was a lot to take in It was and I was like, "Well, I was feeling very superior." And then I had my like guy at the bathing in a lake scene, and then I was right there with her. So, <laughs> point a man's man. So, really, <laughs> really, our criteria is: does the movie arouse us both? And uh,
0: <laughs> like any good teenage yeah,
1: movie should. Yes, exactly. And the Fifth Wave did. It checked both of our boxes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> our pick of the week the credibility is taking a dive.
1: <laughs> I know this is going to be this be our ruination.
0: So, in the first wave, all the electricity gets knocked out, which means no more engines and no more hot water. Mm-hmm. Does that mean everyone looks totally disgusting after a single day like they would in real life?
1: It does not no. and, uh, and this is one of my pet pee I, 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 normally, I don't really care. I'm not the guy who's like, in real life, then this <laughs> would. But like it's just kind of okay, if you're going to make one of the big points, like, oh no, there's no more hot water. And then still have the characters look anything other than completely disgusting after, like, a single day has gone by. As we <laughs> all know, we look and we don't shower for a whole day. Like, after maybe, like, I don't even know how many weeks into the story, Chloe Grace suddenly has, like, a smudge of dirt on her face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but aside from that, she has, like, a perfect blowout for, for the she majority does, yeah, of the movie. yeah. Her hair
0: really maintains Yeah, her
1: hair, her hair is resilient. Um, if that was one of the waves, uh, then then I would be welcoming the wave the wave of blowout uh so yeah no the movie is not interested in showing us just characters being gross and grimy because it has some romance seeds it needs to uh it It needs to plant
0: so what is this is this movie even about anything besides that
1: well you know uh there is yeah so this movie is not really about anything um especially profound it's not like the hunger games where it gets Mm -hmm. to be Really, kind of uh, gripping about a class warfare um, scenario, dystopia. And I was going to say also, I feel like the thing that separates this movie from the horror games and, um, and Divergent is that those are, those are dystopian movies where we're just living in, like, an alternate version of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about an actual, like, immediate changing of the world where then everyone's trying to put the pieces back together. Right. So this is very specifically a post-apocalyptic uh, dystopia. Where you know we see the last day that the world was normal, and then we watch the world gradually end, and then all the characters scurrying around trying to make sense of this new world. And it's very Walking Dead in that way. Yeah, you
0: mentioned it was more like a zombie movie, and it yeah. does feel that way. Life's life's normal, and then suddenly it's
1: not. Right, right, and uh, and there, especially there's a scene where Cassie is kind of roaming around a freeway where there are all these abandoned cars, and there's mm-hmm. you know woods on the other side of her because Ohio. And uh, and I was like, yeah, this is just giving me a full Walking Dead moment. But So it's not a profound movie at all, um, but it does get at least one pretty good burn in. Uh, where uh, So Nick Robinson is in the movie. Pouty, pouty, pretty Nick Robinson <laughs> from Jurassic World, <laughs> who I interviewed a few years ago for The Kings of Summer, which was a fun indie he was in.
0: Wasn't that also in Ohio? Yeah, it that was. it was in Michigan Falls or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, it totally was. It totally was. And uh, so he's sitting down with an alien, like you do. And it's him in that scene, isn't it? Yeah, that's him. And uh, so he's negotiating with this alien. <laughs> and, uh, and I should note that the movie doesn't actually call them aliens. It calls them others. Right. Um, so he's negotiating with the other. And uh, the other is kind of revealing the plan the aliens have for domination of the world. And uh, and then Nick Robinson is like, well, you know what? Like human beings would never just wipe out an entire <laughs> species. And then the other retorts, "Come on, I mean you've been doing it for centuries." <laughs> and I was like, oh, zing, zing, point alien. <laughs> that was that was a pretty good burn, Patrice. Uh, that was good. Yeah. So uh, so really, but aside from that one little kind of throwaway uh, zinger that the alien gets in. Uh, there's there's really there's really nothing substantial about this movie. Uh but with that said, I think part of that's part of why it was so enjoyable mm-hmm. is that I feel like the Hunger Games movies and the divergent movies. And I should note that I am not even a little bit a fan of the Divergent movies. Never seen one. I think they were never anything other than the poor man's hunger games. And uh and and, and yeah. Uh so and and they're both so they're both get so weighted down with building a mythology and just all the world building that goes on in these things. And I think the hard games handles it a little bit more gracefully than uh, the divergent movies do partially because our games doesn't kind of require as much of a, it's not as completely, it's not completely reimagined new world Mm -hmm. um, the way that the divergent movies have. So, but I feel like when you're watching that you have entire movies that are just unpacking fucking exposition from the books. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it gets, it's not fun as a viewer to just sit there and be like, okay, well, this is just, here's the part of the book where they just kind of move all the pieces around. And, mm-hmm. and then there'll be something probably at the end, you know, it's... it's... <laughs> not unless
0: it's uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, for instance, Mockingjay Part 1 was an entire movie of exposition uh, uh, of setting things up for things to happen in Mockingjay Part 2. Uh, so in this movie does not feel tied down. I doesn't feel bogged down by that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it has a very sort of lean direct kind of style to it. And I was engrossed. I was engrossed for the whole thing. I think it had like mild pacing issues. The yeah. first, the first half hour is just, I think kind of perfect. Uh, the, it does a lot in, mm-hmm. a, in its first half hour. It's, yeah. it's brutal. It's bleak. Um, it does not, uh, take any prisoners. Um, and then it kind of has to kind of find a new way after everything is lost in that first half hour. But I don't know. I, I found it really enjoyable. I, I, I thought it was beautifully shot. <laughs> 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 uh, I, did,
0: I have some, I had some issues. I wish I wished the special effects would have been a little bit better. I'm not a big special effects fan, but having seen movies that kind of handle... Uh, these like large scale natural disasters and things like that um, mm-hmm. done really well. It's it's kind of a bummer when you see them done not as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've, I was rooting for this movie, and I feel like this movie has a um, just has a good vibe. Um, the, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but at the same time, it's not a joke. Um, that I wish that that it had like you know some extra money for effects or something. Um, yeah, because that would have been great.
1: Yeah, yeah. And with that said, yeah, there's really there's there's be, there's a handful of of. There's one wave, one plague in particular mm-hmm. that requires a lot of CG mm-hmm. uh, to execute, and uh, and and yeah, it's not the best CG. Um, but if that's if you're the kind of person who gets bothered by that, then you might be like, okay, that's that looks a little rinky-dink. That's like how things look back when we made like the day after tomorrow.
0: Right, but not worth not seeing the movie for.
1: No, no, not enough to not enough to discredit the whole movie by a long shot.
0: But if you could have taken the money from, say, something like 13 Hours
1: and funneled, <laughs> it in,
0: funneled into a project like this, it would have been great.
1: It would have been. It would have been it's a missed opportunity.
0: But there's an opportunity for more movies. Um, it yeah. ends in a really open-ended way.
1: Yes. Uh, things are really, like, it's. I was almost uh, impressed by how open-ended it is. It because, was very blatant. Yeah, it was very, like, well, and here's where things will pick up in the sequel. Like, uh, it, there's no guarantee that there will be a sequel um, at all. Uh, there has, I was looking to see if it had already been ordered by the studio yet. And I'm not, I didn't see any confirmation of that. Obviously, I think bold. Yes. So there, this could just be a standalone movie. Uh, that would because, be a weird way to end that. I and mean, cause there certainly have been franchise hopefuls in the past, young adult franchise hopefuls that end up just being a single movie and don't get, they just don't find the success that would make the studio want to pay for more movies to be added. And uh, so, and I don't know how it's going to be with the fifth wave. Uh, this is not a movie that has a huge cast. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like there's a bunch of buzz for it. It's very much at the tail end of the whole of, of this whole kind of moment uh, uh, of you know female-driven young adult dystopian action stories. Uh, the Hunger Games movies are done, you mm-hmm. know, they're yeah. done, 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 and uh, Divergent is still plodding along. Not that anyone gives a shit. Uh, so. Uh, so I don't know how this movie is going to perform. Um, but I have to say, like, it's it's better than the Divergent movies. It really is. And I, I would be excited to see the next story in this. Like, at this, I really, I really enjoyed this movie.
0: Oh, the sequel is going to be uh, Neighbors 2.
1: <laughs> the sixth
0: wave are sororities.
1: <laughs> I'm excited for Neighbors 2.
0: I am now. Now I feel like I got a fresh boost of uh, Chloe Grace Moritz, and I'm really interested to see
1: her. Yes, and uh, and what was her name on 30 Rock? Kaylee. Oh, Kaylee. Hooper. Hooper. Yeah.
0: A little Kaylee Hooper.
1: Just in keeping with our, our weekly 30, Rock, 30 references. Rock
0: references.
1: Yes, Kaylee Hooper. Uh, which... She
0: was fantastic in that.
1: She was. Uh, she, had, and she had a lot of great lines, but uh, there was a later episode where she returns, uh, and when she shows up in Jack's office, he says, Kaylee Hooper, to what do I owe the pleasure? And she says, Jack. Pleasure as the name of a pony I hate. <laughs> and that just fucking killed me. Oh, 30 Sick. Rock. Yes. Uh miss it every day of my life. And one other thing I want to add about this movie is when you see Maria Bello in this movie, <laughs> and she is in this movie, she's one of like the kind of every YA dystopian franchise has a couple of like oddball act grown actors in their movie. Uh, when you see Maria Bello, you will be struck by her very extreme styling. Uh, she has like a runway ready slick back Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like a bold red mouth like (laughs) intense red lipstick mouth and you'll be like what is up with this styling and all i will say is that there's actually a payoff with the lipstick and it's a fucking good payoff
0: the fifth wave is out now and is rated pg-13 for violence and destruction some sci-fi thematic elements language and brief teen partying the second movie we are looking at this week is lady in the van a man forms an unexpected bond with a transient woman living in her car that's parked in his driveway.
1: Beggars. I'm not a beggar. I'm self-employed, and this gentleman is my neighbor. Looking especially lovely today, sweetheart. Don't sweetheart me. I'm a sick woman, dying possibly.
0: So as San Franciscans, we know the plight of the homeless better than just about anybody in the world. We sure do. Does Does this resonate with our own experience?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I think that so Maggie Smith plays this this hobo and, uh, and just go right for it. And uh, and I think that, you know, she she does suggest a, a, an array of emotions I have witnessed in my own hobos. Uh, there's a lot of that kind of wounded dignity i would say there's mm-hmm. a lot of that her character of like this kind of rage of like don't you take my dignity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh so i feel like
0: which which you would say human beings generally feel uh,
1: i mean yeah I, I think that you know with, with with the hobos uh you know damn there's...
0: you're really sticking to it
1: uh, with the word yeah uh, Hobo's my favorite word you not know that <laughs> no i did not know hobo's that is my favorite word
0: did you get mad when i changed it from hobo to Trans... homeless oh
1: it's <laughs> no you <laughs> I'm going hard on hobo. Okay. Uh so uh so yeah no so I think that there's that sense of like whenever you see, you know, let's say like a hobo in a Starbucks or something and then they're like what do you mean I have to have been in here to get a refill? Like I want my coffee. And I'm sounding like a real dick. You do like, sound like a real. Hey, dick. I want my coffee, and uh, you know, and you and have they're... your little
0: Apple earbuds in, and you're just trying to get your skinny <laughs> I, latte. Well, I know you get I, on have, a tech I have I have my
1: Starbucks app up on my Apple Watch, It's just getting ready to awkwardly hold it up to the sensor.
0: Yeah, did not you already order it ahead of time with your Starbucks app?
1: <laughs> no, I, I haven't done that yet. Maybe I should uh, avoid but, all the hobos. But, <laughs> but uh but yeah no so i feel like you know maggie smith does uh you know she's she's like a movie hobo you know she, she's a little bit more cuddly like all movie versions of things are she's a somewhat more cuddly hobo i feel like it does not spare um her hobo rage uh, there are moments of that, and there are moments of, uh, of, of, yeah, her just being very difficult. The smell is acknowledged quite a bit. Too much. There's I wish <laughs> 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 you guys could have seen the look on Rebecca's face. She kind of just, like, <sighs> twisted it up and looked away, and she was like, too much. Too much. Uh, yeah, the smell was acknowledged, and, uh, and in, when you're watching it, you're like, yeah, she looks fucking rank. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: if you're jason (laughs) listen
1: i i don't pussyfoot about hobo business
0: man i can't wait to i'm Um, just trying to think about what sound effect i'm gonna put in here every time you say the word hobo (laughs) you'll hate it by the end of this show I don't know. I don't, I don't you
1: have a problem with the word hobo? I do. Why?
0: Because it's like a, it's a derogatory term for people who are less fortunate and live on, on the streets. I
1: don't think it's a derogatory term. I no? think I think it's an archaic word okay. uh, for the homeless. Uh, you know, it was, it came from a certain time and a place, but you know, hobo camps. Hobo camp. Uh, hobo camp. Uh, <laughs> let's not act like that's not fun.
0: Okay. I mean, that's, that's fun because the person who said it is known for being like an awful
1: racist (laughs) like me so why isn't it funny when i say it (laughs) (laughs) explain that to me with your your double standards
0: if that's what you're going for then we will (laughs) laugh at you so that is going to feed into what sound effect I use go ahead keep going I,
1: i have been saying hobo for so long it's my favorite word and, uh, and no
0: one's going to take that from this white man. <laughs> How dare you tell him that this word that he enjoys using.
1: I will say that you are the first person who has ever fought me on Hobo at really? all. Yeah, no. No one's ever been like, you know, I mean, know, you also said Tardwell three weeks ago. We still say, haven't really talked about it. I did it. say Tardwell, and that's just sitting like the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> elephant in the room. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so I would say that it's it's resonant of the experience in some ways. Um, and uh, the thing that I thought was kind of funny is uh, the setup in this movie is that Maggie Smith's character is kind of working her way down this one this one street in Camden mm-hmm. in England, and um, and she'll just kind of move this sh- shitty van um, from in front of one house to the front of another house, and she just kind of moves works her way down the street. And the people who live in the ho- the homes are just, like, looking out, like, no, 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 whenever she starts to move it. Like, who is she going to move in with now? And, um, and and the main story is about her kind of gradually moving into this one dude's driveway, this dude happening to be Alan Bennett, uh, who is a, a, a sort of noted British writer, memoirist, essayist, playwright, all-around self-absorbed white dude. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I thought that that was funny. I could imagine this kind of well-meaning liberal enclave, like, like the stretch of Camden in London, wanting to be nice about it, like, mm-hmm. ooh, like everyone trying to like be cooperative. No one's like, you know, no one's like full on trying to have you know the cops drag her out of there. Uh, but at the same time, they're like, oh, that's we just don't want you to park that in front of our house. Uh, yeah, I
0: kind of, I kind of saw this when, as you mentioned, it's in Camden, and and I kind of wanted to see when you know when they like sort of mash up movies together, like a mix between Amy
1: mm-hmm. and
0: this. And Nasty Baby, mm. where you, she's like pushing a cart down the street and you see like Amy Winehouse walking down the street with a bunch of paparazzi. And then all of a sudden, like she goes up and well, I don't know if you've seen the end of Nasty Baby, but it, no, it's, I haven't. it takes a turn.
1: As I've heard. I've heard there's a turn. Uh, so, yeah, no, this was I always thought that Camden was like a cracky town just because of the Amy Winehouse stuff. Uh, so back in, like, the paparazzi Amy Winehouse things, I would always think, like, oh, Camden is really a scuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is uh, and I finally went to Camden, and it's not scuzzy. Um, and this is a very, very, very posh, bougie section mm-hmm. of Camden um, that this all takes place in. So I don't know, Rebecca, how did it resonate with your experiences of the homeless? <laughs> um, I...
0: I, my, the homeless experience that I've had here is a lot more um, drug-fueled and violent, so it didn't really resonate. Mm. It, there wasn't a lot of, you know, she she had our faculties about her for the most part, and she wasn't, um, like, firing up heroin on a spoon in front of his house, so right. I wouldn't say it's, it parallels right. my experience here.
1: It's hobo light, is what it is. It
0: is. It yeah. is. Um <laughs> Speaking of which, is this movie basically just Philomena 2 back in the habit?
1: (laughs) That's a good joke, Rebecca. That's
0: a good joke you wrote.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, this movie is basically this year's Philomena. Um, It is about a sort of uh, cranky British male white writer uh, who kind of gets stuck with this older white lady um, but then, through learning about her story is inspired to great artistic heights oh, um, and her story involves suffering at the hands of the Catholic Church. Uh, so it it quite literally is very, very much filming the two back in the habit. <laughs> Uh so this is in the in the audience for um the lady in the van is basically the audience that enjoyed Philomena.
0: Oh sure. Or the exotic Marigold Hotel. Yes. Or Saving Grace or any one of those eccentric
1: You're being super ageist right now. Uh British movies. Yeah. Yes. Starring Maggie Smith. Starring (laughs) starring or Judy Dench. Starring old ladies. Yes. Old old British ladies. Dime a dozen. Dime a dozen. Uh, so, yeah. So it's that kind of just middle brow, art house, mm-hmm. uh, feel-goody kind of movie. And uh, that happens to bear a a, struggle, a, a startling resemblance to Philomena's uh, plot points.
0: But Maggie Smith is the lead. And does this film add another feather in the cap of her legacy?
1: Yeah, I always think she's great. I mean, I always get really, like, irritated with her, um, with her stretch of winning for downton every single year mm-hmm. and like every award show because bitch never shows up <laughs> and there are so many other great performances that are like you know if i were christina Hendricks, i would hate maggie smith to the day i died uh yeah. because she basically just like fucking cockblock christina hendrix year after year after year after year in like the best supporting actress in the mm-hmm. tv drama category and now christina Hendricks is gone uh yeah. it will, or at least joan is gone and who knows when someone will find a another great use for christina hendrix talents and Maggie Smith probably doesn't even know that there is such a thing as a Golden Globe, but damn it, there <laughs> is Maggie Smith. And it should have gone to Christina Hendricks at least once. Uh, so, but no, it's, so I, I feel like I always want to like have a problem with Maggie Smith and be like, Oh, she's just doing a bit. She's doing a shtick. And I think I'm doubting she kind of is doing a shtick. She is. Um, yeah. but in *Lady in the Van, like this is a, a, I thought it was an impressively layered performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she, you know, this is a, a, a kind of an unexpected character for her to play. This kind of, she's been playing these very imperious grand dames for so many years now. Right. And she does it like no one else. Um, and this is a stretch. This is a huge stretch. And um, and I, it had to have been daunting on some level for her to play such a different kind of character. Um, and, you know, paint with... She paints with different brushes. We'll say that. Mm. Paints with different brushes than the one she normally uses. And she's fantastic. You know, so I can't hate. I can't hate. Dame Maggie part, Smith is fantastic in this movie.
0: For this part, she played this role of Miss Shepard in the radio play and... Uh, the stage play. Is that right? Before she did the the movie. I thought it was kind of, she's 81, um, which I originally thought she was 90.
1: Oh, yeah, because I think, (laughs) yes, I had that same thought. I think I actually tweeted that when I saw this movie in Toronto. I was like, so Maggie Smith is only 81? (laughs) Is anyone else shocked by that? I
0: was, I thought she was 91 and then I learned she was 81.
1: 91 if she's a day.
0: (laughs) But uh, it's kind of a, I would think like a bit of a physical role. There's a lot of like, I mean, a lot of it takes place in a van, mm-hmm. um, and it's it, it's a, it's a big leading part for somebody. I feel like that's um, that's older, and she does an amazing job. Yeah,
1: no, she really does. I mean, she is completely commanding. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very poignant. She just hits every point emotionally that you need from this character, and she hits it like a pro. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Maggie Smith is fantastic in this. It ultimately did not did not work out to be. Uh, you know, an awards movie for her. I don't even know if it was released in New York and LA in time. I don't know if it actually was even in... Well, yeah, no, it was because we got screeners for it, the film critic circle. So I think it just never... It just didn't didn't get the traction they're hoping for. Yeah. Um, so, but she is, she is still fantastic and she is definitely the reason to see the movie.
0: Um, the other protagonist... Yeah. Alan Bennett mm. um, is... Uh, takes up a large portion of this movie. Yes. Of the story about a lady in a van. Yes. Um, And even finds a very unique way to even, to make it more about himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are not one, but two Alan Bennett's in the movie. Uh, So there is the Alan Bennett that is acting in the moment, um, going through this kind of story as it happens. And then there is the Alan Bennett who has sat down to, to write it all down uh, afterward. And the two Alan Bennett's, the one doing the living and the one doing the writing interact throughout the movie. Uh, because it's not enough to just like have your story be told. You have to also tell the story of how you told your story, mm-hmm. which is some white man nonsense.
0: Man. And then at the end.
1: Yeah. And then he shows up the real, they, they, they have like a breaking the fourth wall moment where the camera pulls back, uh, to reveal like them shooting the movie. And the real Alan Bennett kind of like zips through like, chip chip chip. <laughs> and it's like oh is, do we need that this is obnoxious like yeah you're making it so much about yourself
0: it was pretty obnoxious and his character is insufferable yeah i found to be
1: i mean i you know i appreciate that i mean he you know he i was surprised that there was a loss about him having like a lots of anonymous gay sex mm-hmm. yeah uh, with the likes of russell tovey hey russell tovey <laughs> and uh and dominic cooper i think too um, so I was like, oh, I'm actually there. I was like, okay, I'm interested. Like, it piqued my interest. <laughs> it, it, it was a piece of a little hanging fruit for me. But, uh, yeah, no, he, it's, it, he's, he's not f- super interesting. And, you know, it's definitely about like, oh, this is exasperating. And in a way, you know, it's kind of him patting himself on the back, being like, aren't I so wonderful mm-hmm. that I let this woman right. live in my driveway for all these years, and I let her bring her stank ass into my house. And,
0: and like, I almost got attached
1: yeah right right exactly so it's not it's not exactly sympathetic and ultimately it's a lot more about how it affected alan bennett than it is about this woman um so yeah so it's it's definitely kind of a uh (laughs) a good example of uh of white male privilege working its way out through a story's narrative (laughs) let's just say that
0: so how are you gonna rate this one
1: i'm gonna say consume moderation Mm -hmm. um i think it's a perfectly fine like i said middle brow art house feel good movie Maggie Smith, this is a, a fantastic performance from her that should be spoken of in the same breath as her finest uh, screen moments. Um, but as we said, it has uh, just some issues with the narrative. And, uh, and I think just, you know, feel-good movies, bleh. <laughs> to say about that.
0: <laughs> the Lady in the Van is out now and is rated PG-13 for a brief unsettling image. So now we have our last movie of the week, Mojave. Yes. A suicidal artist goes into the desert where he finds his doppelganger, a homicidal drifter. When you get what you want, what do you want?
1: So you go to the desert
0: to find out what you want, and what you are, anything at all. So the description says doppelganger. What does that mean? Is Oscar Isaac supposed to be Garrett Holland's twin?
1: Yeah, this is So just throwing this out there at the beginning This is a terrible fucking movie (laughs) Oh my god Wow Wow is this movie bad It is bad Bad, bad It's bad in ways that surprised me And occasionally delighted me (laughs) Um, It is The closest thing I can compare it to Is The Canyons Oh, okay uh, With Lindsay Lohan
0: It seemed to have that very LA Terrible feel
1: Yes yeah, it's very much of that subgenre of terrible LA movies that are, that think that they're kind of being sly and doing some kind of commentary on the industry, mm-hmm. but are really just so lethargic and so like inexplicably self satisfied. Oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, so it's, so the movie is about uh, Garrett Hedlund plays this just total LA douche. Like, the douchiest of the douche. He has a fucking man bun. Yeah, he has a man bun. He has a man bun. His hair is like neck length, longish hair. He has like the fucking light beard. He wears like the leather jackets and the jeans. Mm-hmm. He is very... With the prete- deep V's? Deep V's. He's very pretentious. He speaks in a very like deep, affected voice. And uh, and he is, yeah, just sort of... We know he's some kind of like L.A. creative figure working in the film industry and he's famous and he goes out into the Mojave Desert because he's having some kind of like philosophical crisis because he's a pretentious motherfucker. <laughs> and then when he's out there, he meets Oscar Isaac's character. And um, Garrett Hedlund's character is suicidal. Oscar Isaac's is homicidal. And, Match made in heaven. Yes. <laughs> so you'd think that thing could be resolved really quickly. Um, but then, you know, things go awry and Garrett Hedlund returns to L.A. And then Oscar Isaac kind of comes back after him. And um, and Oscar Isaac is it's it's more of an antagonist uh, in this movie than a doppelganger. It's not meant to be his twin. He's not meant to be something that only Garrett Hedlund sees because we see him interact with other characters who like... Because, you know, you always look for that in movies like mm-hmm. this. Like, okay, is, am I going to get fight clubbed again? Right, exactly. Um, you know, which I mean, in, if this is meant to be a manifestation of his psyche like the way that Tyler Durden was and it kind of broke that rule because we're like, oh, people are looking at him and he's interacting with things, but it was actually just Ed Norton the whole time, Mm -hmm. you know, projecting himself into Tyler Durden. Uh, So, but yeah, he just seems, and he's not meant to be supernatural in this movie as far as I can tell. He's just like a crazy killer who lives in the desert, uh, who Garrett Hedlund makes the, you know, poor choice of interacting with and then has him just follow him back into LA. So the movie is never, I kept waiting for there to be some reveal at the end um, to figure out like, okay, so like he was what exactly mm-hmm. and it never really happens he's basically just like a counterpart he's sort of like a counterpart to garrett Hedlund's character and uh and it's and it's oh my god this fucking movie
0: but it's oscar isaac who is the internet's boyfriend
1: he is um
0: and he did play a creep last year within ex machina mm-hmm. um but also a very charming creep there yeah um so if you just are sort of getting to be familiar with his work and you loved him as poe in star wars
1: mm-hmm.
0: what should you expect here
1: well uh i mean, oscar isaac is certainly the big draw for mojave uh this is a movie that is available uh day and date in theaters and on itunes so it's the kind of thing that i can imagine people will be sitting at home looking at movies to watch and they're like oh well, there's an oscar isaac movie and it's new mm-hmm. and this sounds interesting and so he's gonna be, he, he's the draw here and i will say <laughs> uh that you get a few glimpses of oscar isaac's skin <laughs> uh, he uh, so yeah. So when you when you first see him in the movie, he looks disgusting. He has like long stringy hair, uh, a, a mangy beard. He is a, you know he's a serial killer living in the desert. He doesn't look great. Um, and then he when he comes into L.A., uh, first he uh, he gets cruised by like some like middle aged West Hollywood gay with a little dog, <laughs> and then that middle aged gay takes Oscar back to his home, and then Oscar kills him uh and then you know just lives in his house swimming in his pool in his uh pink speedo
0: okay
1: so there's just lots and lots and lots of footage of Oscar Isaac and at this point I should also add he has shaved his head and his beard so it's all just like more of a tight crop Mm -hmm. so when that happened I was like thank god because (laughs) that's when he looks better with shorter hair but he also has really jacked up teeth in this movie and so they never resolve the teeth situation uh, so you have just a lot of Oscar Isaac wearing a pink speedo, just walking around this guy's house and swimming in his pool. There's one scene where he kind of like takes a dip in his ass like sticks up out of the water, and I was like, <laughs> hey, "Oscar Isaac, booty!" So, so
0: glad we didn't see that one together. Yes,
1: I would have been making a lot of noises. <laughs> um, so, but no, it's a, this is this is not a, an Oscar Isaac boyfriendy kind of character. Um, the character is written so insufferably. Um, he sort of is just constantly spewing. Philosophical pseudo intellectual bullshit oh, of, of of a very true detective variety, mm-hmm. and um, and so he, that's terrible. The things he says are terrible. The things he does are terrible. Um, he doesn't look all that great, and to you know, I, and I think he he's going to let down a lot of his 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 gay fans uh, because when he appears shirtless, he's like completely smooth. And that's the thing that a lot of game and a lot of women, I think, too, hate. Uh, whenever a guy is just inexplicably hairless at, at of of the chest, uh. because he looks like he'd be a hairier dude. Mm-hmm. I think everyone was hoping to see some, like, you know, some nice furry titties. But alas, <laughs> oh, alas, it's completely, completely bald chest uh, in this movie. So yeah, no, this is not going to do any favors for Oscar Isaac's like position as like America's current boyfriend. Um it, it's 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 a it's a it's a curiosity I'll call it that
0: yeah, this movie also has Walter Goggins in it who was just recently in the Hateful Eight
1: Walton Goggins Walton even, Goggins. Walton I, Goggins, which I made that mistake as well when I wrote my review of the Hateful Eight and a friend of mine pinged me immediately like literally within seconds of me hitting publish. it was like Walton Walton Goggins, and I was like, what the fuck kind of name is Walton Goggins? <laughs> and I almost like took back all the nice things I said about him. I'm like, that's not a real <laughs> fucking name. Walton is not a name. <laughs> Uh so but uh but yes Walton Goggins is in this and he also in his first scene appears wearing what I think was like a jock strap. Um this is a weird movie. Uh yeah. so yeah, he's just like reclining on some kind of chaise looking all buffed and bronzed wearing a jock strap. Uh so he's in the movie, I can't even really describe what his character is. Uh he's just kind of some other, you know, g- gross overly styled guy who works in the film industry who knows Garrett Hedlund's character uh so he's on screen for just a few minutes tops uh it's 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 mainly kind of a two-hander uh between headland and isaac
0: does this movie had? did it have a theatrical release or is it straight to video
1: uh it is getting a limited theatrical release day and date with the vod release okay uh so yeah so it is having a limited theatrical run uh and uh but it's it's don't don't go rushing out to a theater to see it
0: how did this even happen
1: uh, you know, it's 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 a good question. I think it's just because a, this is written and directed by William Monaghan, who won uh, a screenwriting Oscar for *The Departed*, mm-hmm. uh, for adapting that from from, from the Hong Infernal Kong film Affairs. *Infernal Affairs*. Yeah, he must just have a lot of Hollywood capital mm-hmm. because he is able to get you know these these you know Oscar Isaac, Garrett Hedlund, Walton Goggins, fucking Mark Wahlberg. Oh right, uh, is in this movie. Uh, and he's, he's kind of funny. He's kind of funny in this movie, just playing a kind of like a just insane kind of debauched nutcase producer. Um, but yeah, and these people are all in this movie. This movie is is like the definition of a vanity project um, that William Monaghan was somehow able to get together and produce... And, I mean, it looks great. It's beautifully shot. (laughs) Um, It has a really cool score, and it's very moody. (laughs) Uh,
0: Thanks, Jenna. (laughs)
1: Yes. Uh, And the whole movie is very moody. It's very atmospheric. But, like, you're like, is this supposed to be serious? Right. Is it satire? I really don't know. It might be satire. Uh, It seems to be taking itself very seriously, but sometimes it's so ridiculous like when you see these two fucking bozos, uh, Hedlund and Isaac, sitting there like you know having this insane True Detective season one on crack conversation, um, and they're they both. In Garrett Hedlund is such a parody in this movie. Like this movie has to know what a parody he is. Like it seems like it's sort of. I wanna I wanna if I'm being really nice to it, and I would say that like maybe it's trying to be a satire of sort of sheltered entitled Hollywood self-involvement. Because its protagonist is so unsympathetic, and he's such a parody of, like, your classic Los Angeles douchebag. And um, so we're not rooting for him at all, and he's just sort of, you know, meets this antagonist version of himself that ultimately... Spurs him on to want to live more or less because he's he's suicidal as the film begins.
0: So is that make Oscar Isaac the manic pixie girl of this movie?
1: <laughs> yeah, he's an Natalie Portman to Garrett <laughs> Hedlund, Zach Braff in this movie. Okay, good. Yes, yes, that's exactly what we're watching here. It's just like a homoerotic L.A. Garden State. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, this this is this is this is a special kind of bad movie.
0: So uh, send it back
1: yeah this is this is this is a senate this is a really really a senate back this is the kind, i mean this is i know there's a lot of you out there who love oscar isaac and i love oscar isaac and i can't even say i feel like if you watch this movie for him then like yes you're getting your oscar isaac fixed and yes you get to like ogle him sitting around in a pink speedo for like a good chunk of screen time but in exchange for that you might not like him anymore after you watch this movie mm. it's that gross of a character and he plays it really well too well he gives too much in this movie and it's 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 definitely a blemish on the rising uh oscar isaac supernova
0: mojave is out now and is rated r for language and some violence and that's it
1: thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the binge be sure to subscribe on itunes or if you're on android you can find us on stitcher or the soundcloud app talk to us on twitter i'm at the jason leroy and rebecca is at fight balance until next time.
0: Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging
1: on movies with
0: Jason. There, there goes the binge.